0: Hey everybody, welcome to Fanboys, a podcast by Stephen Tomek, talking about the sport of track and field and trying to relate track and field, marathoning, distance running in general, and some indoor and outdoor, I mean, some um, other track and field events to the general running public. We're doing this as a labor of love. We believe this sport is the greatest sport of all, and we want to turn people into fans, and so, We're gonna spend a little bit of time each and every week talking through the sport. Um, Sometimes we'll get really deep and down and dirty and into the minutiae. But generally what we're hoping to do is to continue to pop back out and give you a big overview and a bigger picture. And that's what we're doing this week, Tomek. We're gonna do with our second episode, we're gonna talk about what the hell is indoor season and indoor track and field and why the hell does it matter. so, we're going to go down the road of what happens in indoor track and how athletes prepare for it, um, what it means in the context of general tra- track and field generally and distance running generally. And um, we're going to highlight our best performances from this year. We're we'll going to do a little season review and then talk a little bit about how indoor track transfers into outdoors. And um, what things people, what you all might be looking for if you continue to follow the sport going into the super exciting and always really fun outdoor track and field season as it is. So are you ready, Telmec?
1: Yes, hello, everyone.
0: (laughs) Cool. Um, So the first topic is basically what is indoor track so Tomek give us a little bit of an idea about from your perspective of what the hell indoor track is what were you gonna what would you say to someone who had no idea what it what what that meant
1: it's like a giant field that has a shorter track a original track outdoor track is quarter mile long 400 meters indoor tracks in general they 200 meters long there are few places that you can find 300 meter long tracks and those bigger ones are usually flat Uh, they don't have banks but the shorter ones the fast ones especially are more like a circle rather than an oval Um, but mostly they are oval with the bank tracks Um, yeah they're not not really big maybe four lanes five lanes max six I don't know but uh, uh, usually it's tight Uh, it's Fast, going doing lots of you know circles and uh, if you ever race indoor track uh, you're gonna end up coughing and having sore throat <laughs> and for like days for whatever yeah. reason that is uh, it's it's just <laughs> yeah it's so dry air I think. it's dry yes. stale
0: air Um, Yeah, we had an athlete who's in our Telos training group who did his first indoors meet, and that's all he could talk about afterwards. He had an incredible two races. He did doubles that day, but the first thing he said immediately after was, oh, my God, my throat is burning. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, something happens in the indoor track that it's so dry, um, and it just rips your throat apart. But one of the things that's kind of interesting about that indoor track is uh, in the old days, they were – there were more flat tracks even at 200 than there were banked ones because they had to build them um, with basic – and that the, and the, when we talk about a flat track versus a bank track, what that means is that the track itself <clears throat> on the straightaways, the long straightaways, are straight – are straight. But as you take a turn, they actually have a a bank to it where the first lane has a slight bank, the second lane has a greater bank, the third lane has a greater bank. And in the sprint races, they can actually on the new fandangled ones over the last 10 or 15 years or so, they have a system by which they just me- it's mechanized and they just press a button and it hydraulically drops and lifts. Back in the days when Tomek and I ran, it didn't drop and lift optimally for whatever race distance there was. You were just stuck with uh, whatever the bank was, and in some some races that was pretty precipitous drop off. I remember being in a race one time where I got basically uh, early on in a in a in a distance medley relay, I got pushed way out, and I thought I was going to fall off the track <laughs> because <laughs> I was pushed all the way out up the bank, and it was too slippery. Tell if I hadn't had spikes, I would have fallen for sure. But um, yeah, there. When you see an indoor track race, um, and check our show notes out, we'll have a couple of indoor track races for you to watch um, on on video through YouTube. If you'll just click on there, and you can watch the races. But um, you'll see that there. though I think, and there's a lot of number of there's a number of other people who feel like it's potentially it could be faster to run a mile indoors than it is to run a mile outdoors. What do you think about that argument, Tomek?
1: yeah I mean if you're talking perfect weather you know which is hard to get then outdoor few trucks are probably faster but it's so hard to get this perfect weather and you know indoor it's always it's always perfect <laughs> always the same.
0: But why do then so then why are people's performances so much better outdoors? By the time we get to the outdoor season, we're starting to see, let's say a a fifth, we run, it's usually a 1500 meter. And that's another thing we can talk about at some point in time, Tomek, maybe we won't do that in this Mm -hmm. episode. But just discussing metric versus imperial in terms of distances and how that all plays out. I don't think we want to spend too much time on that today but a 1500 meter men's 1500 meter um you know world-class absolutely super fast world-class time is 330 right? right um but we very rarely see anyone get anywhere close to 330 on the indoor track and you just said that the indoor track was technically faster so uh, i mean right. i'm with you i i agreed that indoor that it's it's a it's a it's a catch-22 isn't it it's like the shorter Banked turns make it hard to stay focused and it's not got that nice long windup that you get on an outdoor track, but because you've got the banks, you've got this slingshot effect and this g-force effect that actually happens with indoor track.
1: Yeah, I agree. And and you know, I've, as as I've been thinking, watching uh, a lot of races this indoor season, I, I really pay attention how people race and often, you know, there's this, this trend of, I want to attack before the bank so I can be first to the turn and often people uh, go too hard or or just not measure the the efforts correctly so you know and now I'm thinking there is there is small um, gap for error indoor you know to be perfect race because if you like you said you ended up going on the second or third line on the on the curve you immediately going way too high and you're going this awkward angle and and then you don't know what to do with yourself and then you you most likely go back and you know i think technically it's way harder to run unless you're in a perfect like one two position you know or when is when the race goes with the rabbit and you know, those stars go perfectly, but everyone behind them, you know, has to juggle for position and, and what not.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, there is the big issue in the longer races with with the lapping. And, you know, we'd almost never see anyone getting lapped in an outdoor race unless it's 10,000 meters, very rarely. Um, Highly unusual to have a lapped race, but in the f- indoors, it's f- it happens frequently. Um, and I was just watching um, the European Women's European Three K Champs, where uh, Laura Muir and um, Klosterhofen were were coming into the last four hundred meters of their race, and there was a position where they were catching up on some lapped runners, and it very easily Laura Muir could have run. Closterhoff and right into the back of the girls that they were pace- lapping because she couldn't she couldn't have moved around her. And there are a lot of strategy things that happen indoors at every race distance that are really. Outdoors kind of more along the lines of 800 and 1500 meter races right where you have to be positioned just right you need to have you be in striking distance and you have to have the speed in the wheels to cover people's moves. With the indoor track there's just so many more turns right there's so many more opportunities to have challenges that it becomes a little bit more of a chess match in terms of playing that all right so anyway. <clears throat> indoors is very very exciting if you ever get the opportunity to go it's very hard to find indoor races to run in it's hard to find track races to run in if anybody wants to do that but i mean it's really hard to find indoor races but if you can go watch some if you're ever in the new york area in New York City, um, you can go to the Armory. Um, if you're in Boston, you can go to um, BU. They've always got a few number, a, a good number of races that are there. Um, if you're in the Wash, in the Seattle area, you guys have a great 300 meter track at the University of Washington. Now that's a freaking circus up there because you can barely see the race because everybody's camped in the infield of the track. Whereas on a flat on, on these 200 meter tracks, it's you're not allowed on the infield um, at all, and so it's. Uh, all, everything is done in the stands, and you watch from the stands. But anyway, in, we're getting far afield. But indoor track is very, very exciting, and it creates um, a really incredible environment. And the races have this just electricity, I think, that kind of is missing a little bit outdoors, especially on the U.S. circuit. It seems to me indoor races, in, racing is almost more exciting um, in the U.S. than the outdoor races are.
1: No, I agree. And and final final thought on why outdoor times are better Uh, I think you know um, for indoor track not everyone shows up it seems like not every athlete not every team takes it seriously or participates and uh, for whatever reason that was a little bit conversation this year since there was no indoor world championships so was for, for, for some athletes that was pointless to run track indoor track because there was not this final event and um I, I don't know if it's good or bad, but uh, us championships were not well represented even though some teams took it seriously and 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 they were applauded for that I'm talking about NOP that sent full full squad to the US championships so uh, you know with that maybe we can talk with the where the Indo track sits you know between between uh, you know, in the dead of the winter, kind of, right?
0: Yeah, it sits right there. I mean, it, it's basically indoor track sits, and it created indoor track because it was too cold in many many climates in order to race outdoors. And so, um, high school, it, and it's really big in the northeast and the northwest. With well, especially the northeast with high schoolers, um, not so much in our, on the neck of the woods where we live because there are no out indoor tracks. In fact there are only two or three significantly good quality indoor tracks in the entire state of Texas, one at University of Houston, one at Texas A&M University and one at Texas Tech. And it's only the universities that can afford to put up and put together an indoor track. But indoor track sits in this time frame, usually from the very beginning of January and the end of the season is always right around the very beginning of March. Um, And so it's a very tiny window of about, you know, two month, two full months. Um, there are some indoor meets that happen in December, but they're always really exhibitionary and not a big deal. Um, the European, I mean, the international indoor season starts in January, usually in mid January, and it really lasts to make what, like six weeks of, is about the length of it. Um, and then as soon as indoor track, and then you wanna, we wanna distinguish here between indoor track, in, the international scene and indoor track. At the collegiate scene, and when I talk about international, I'm including post collegiate athletes, um, being in internationals if they're not in the United States. But, um, the, the ability th- there, it, the indoor season is taken way more seriously by distance runners in the collegiate cycle, way more seriously than it is, as Tomek was saying, um, than it is in the professional cycle. The American, U.S. distance runners do not always take indoor very seriously. Um, And especially the longer distance runners, the 5,000, 10,000 meter type runners frequently may not even get on the track at all indoor season for years um, and still have incredibly great careers. So for example, this year, Paul Chalimo, I don't think he ran the the best 5,000 meter runner in the country in the US who was the Olympic silver medalist in Rio. I don't think he got on a track indoors this entire year, did he?
1: No, no, same. Like let's say Ben True or um, other guys, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, they hit the, either hit the roads or they hit cross country, um, and uh, so you know that's so it's a very short season. But the reason, so I guess Tomek, let's go on to the next topic, which is why the hell does it matter?
1: <laughs> like you said, for me, as uh, uh, as I was running indoor track, was exactly what you said about cold winter, lots of snow on the ground, and. It was just your only chance to, to go and, and just turn your legs so they don't forget, you know, by, by the time winter, uh, winter ends, that how fast you can run. And plus it was fun, you know, something to break the monotony of, of, of training, you know. Winter is long and, and if you look ahead, your, your major next event will be probably somewhere in June, July. So why not to go and race in January or February?
0: yeah totally and and you know i I think that a lot of this also has to do with how exciting the racing can be um and and some people take it really fucking seriously you know i mean they i mean as we'll talk about in just a little bit as we talk about our two um performers slash performances of the indoor season um we're talking about two huge names in the sport who are um who are operating at the highest levels and they put on uh, they put on shows that this this indoor season that will in my mind i think in both these cases could be an argument for some of the best performances of their careers well for Kajalka's for sure and for laura muir who's already had a pretty storied career i mean it, it's it's a great time to see early on what people have and some people just decide to take it really really seriously um and who are those people and why? Well, in some cases, it has to do with their somatotype, the way their body's built. Laura Muir, for example, she's just an incredibly, she's really strong, t- a little shorter, very powerful, and she runs the curves like a champion. She's always been renowned for being a great indoor runner. Whereas your pick, who you're going to talk about, is is Umf. Kajelka, this guy is all li- all legs, and running indoors, you would think might be a challenge for him. When I first thought about him running fast indoors, I was like, I don't know how that's going to work. <laughs> he's he's got stick legs, and that's not normally the way that we who we see in an indoor competitor. I mean, the 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 best indoor miler in in history, um, many people would say, um, was a guy named Eamon Coglin from. Uh, the the from Ireland who never won a world championship outdoors never won an Olympic medal outdoors never did shit outdoors but yet from like 1978 to 1990 or so he was the number one indoor runner in the world in the mile every year so (laughs) there are just people who are really really good at it you know and and I think of it in a lot of ways as in the same way that i think cross country matters so much i think indoor track really deserves to be viewed as its own sport as it and i don't mean as separate from distance running in general or or track and field in general but just as its own important thing because it's like cross country it's different and different people are going to have different performances and it allows us another opportunity to see a different level of some of the same athletes that we see all the time, or different athletes who might not perform so well on the outdoor track um, perform really, really well. So I think it matters. I think it's something to pay attention to. I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's anything that anybody needs to go crazy about like you and I do, um, and especially you. You were all over it this indoor season. I mean, I couldn't keep keep up.
1: Yeah, it was exactly the, the reason, you know, as I'm not running, but uh, it, it was something that was happening in the track and field and I didn't have to wait to Diamond League or Boston Marathon, you know, it was an indoor track and as long as as now um, there's a there's a way that the the track meets stream live on YouTube you can find and or you can just NBC Gold shows, the are flood track shows, uh, you know, there's so much of it and and especially here in the U.S. As, Almost every weekend is something happening.
0: Yeah, and if you haven't watched an indoor race before, please, if you're listening to this podcast, please go to our show notes and at least click on the couple of videos that we'll have there discussing the two athletes slash performances that we're going to talk about in just now. Um, because it'll give you basically an, out, an, out, an idea of what indoor track looks like, and we promise the footage and the film cinematography and the way that we play these out will make it interesting and at least give you some some perspective. And if you decide that indoor is for, for jumps, then that's okay, we, we're all right with that. We, you know, we'll be talking about cross country next week and we'll be talking about um, both London and Boston the week after that for marathoners. So we'll have a little bit of everything for everybody. But we just wanted to give this um, a little bit of an homage to the indoor track season that has just passed. So Tomek, with that, give us your best performer performance um, or in any way that you want to talk about it? What's the, the thing you want people to pay attention to that happened this indoor season?
1: Okay, you, you might be... Uh, okay, I, I, I'm glad that you s- uh, separated those two, best performer and best performance, because uh, uh, best performer, uh, as, as you mentioned, Yomif Kajelcha for me, um, who... who Came to the season, indoor seasons, with the with the goal of breaking world record in a mile. And if he does it, he said, if he does it rather on the beginning of the season, he will try to go for another indoor records. Uh, And that was the objective. Uh, He's he's an Ethiopian uh, runner who recently, I mean, in the last year, moved to Portland, Oregon, to be part of the Nike Oregon project. Uh, training under alberto salazar um and i'm guessing the idea came from alberto himself who said uh, that he sees yomif breaking those records uh, mile records and let's try and i i (laughs) well let's 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 go back a little bit and uh, remind uh, Listeners that Yomif Kedzielce is twice world champion indoor on 3,000 meters And we mentioned a little bit about world championships uh, On indoor tracks and that Those championships happen every two years And I mentioned this year was not the year But next year will be So next year Yomif Kedzielce will be coming as a defending 3k champion So anyway uh NOP, which is stands for Nike Oregon Project, uh, kind of went above and beyond themselves and, and hired a videographer and recorded few training sessions with Kijelcia. The the series, the video series that you can find and we will link under show notes, it's called Chasing Legends, uh, it was very well made and and show Yomi doing some crazy workouts and. First, first, first attempt was at the Milos Games in New York City, which Yomif missed world record by just point zero one seconds. It was crazy. <laughs> it was it was it was
0: heartbreaking <laughs> and um, mystifying how that happened.
1: <laughs> right. So after that, Yomif said, "I'm going back. I'm going back for it. I'm going actually." Try to break now 1500 meters world records, and I'm gonna go to Birmingham, England, to do it. And that race there was the perform uh, performance and event of the year for me. When or race of the year when um, Yomif Kijelcha faced his uh, countryman Samuel Tefera, and pretty much before the race samuel Tefera was 335 guy indoor very again young young kids 19 19 year old or something and and he he just said i'm gonna go with Kajelcha's pace and see what happens i guess and he went and came around kajelcha at the very end and Broke
0: the 1500 meters world record <laughs> so they yeah, he beat Kajelka and then broke the world record so exactly. all basically Kajelka did was tow him his countrymen and it, you could tell there was a little bit of um, not a lot of tightness between the two of them they didn't seem like they were the best of friends but exactly uh, <laughs> but he towed him to his to the world record in the 15 um, which was Again, mystifying and
1: sad, but you were very excited for for Tifera. but i don 't think Tefera even knew he what he did exactly and that 's the performance of the year because the guy showed up for the pure competition and and just wanted to beat this guy that was is more famous than him. Uh, lives in the US, whatever the the deal is, he was so serious from like the beginning till the very end, when even at the end, commentators and, and all the articles after said, like, what's wrong with this guy? He's not happy. He's not cheering. Why he's not, is he not aware that he actually broke the world record? And, you know, and, and, you know, I could feel the guy. I think he was just, just like, I am the fighter. I beat this guy, and that's what matters. I don't care for anything else. <laughs> so that was just just pure. Yeah,
0: and, and and in a way that in a way that you and I are both fans of Kajelka, and um, I don't really know your take exactly on uh, on Alberto Zalazar himself as a coach. You know, I know many people know that I am I'm conflicted. I have a huge and an immense amount of respect for Alberto Zalazar, but I'm also um, not exactly sure about his methods and I'm not talking about, about doping really, what I'm talking about is the way that he operates his program um is always in the shadows and it always seems to lend itself to a lot of questions and, and concerns about how above board the program is, but, and I think that's one of the reasons why that video series that you're referencing, Tomek, is so impactful. It's like they actually get Alberto to talk, and they get um, an experience. You get an experience of openness and sharing that you that you didn't other, and, and and it certainly makes Kajelka seem a lot more like a real person, and than it than you would think otherwise. Because Kajelka is very quiet; he doesn't, he's reserved. He's not he's not flashy, and so you don't really know who he is. And this this video footage did a great job of exactly. of, of pulling that story out.
1: Exactly and and actually you got to see Kajelcha at the very end of, of that video series and when he finally breaks the mile records in Boston He is so happy. He is just jumping and doing funny kind of, you know, jigs <laughs> 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 And and then just you know embraces alberta and then really he he later with through the interviews you you learn that he just he just wanted to do it for Alberto, really. He said Alberto wanted more than he wanted, and that kind of tell you maybe that you know that kind of intensity Alberto comes to to his his work. And I agree with what you just said. And I, I think part of the part of the reason of the, that gray area, that kind of cloud, is they're not very transparent or hasn't been that much. And you know the the N O P athletes don't don't really put themselves much on social media which kind of everyone expects them to do and I, I disagree you, you don't have to if you don't want to but um, you know it's it, back to Kajelcha. it was fun to see him winning and getting that world record and actually he just smashed it you know he almost break 347 that was just unbelievable
0: yeah it's pretty amazing and you know that that th- I do know that Kajalka also said, and really was really interesting that he didn't give two fucking shits about the mile record, but he really wanted that fifteen hundred record. And in that sec, that third race, they actually set up a um, they set up a a a marker at the fifteen hundred meters so he could get both records if they were available. <laughs> that was but, crazy. But you know, but that happens a lot. I mean, there's only that- you know a, a hundred and nine meters difference, and so. But it, they are two races, Tomek. You know what I mean. And it was even though, to, even though Kajoka said afterwards, I really wanted the 1500 meter record. He st- he still ran a mile. And, and he really focused on the mile, and he did do that for Alberto. You could feel that afterwards. And, you know, we might be getting into a little bit of minutiae for folks who don't understand the, how 109 meters could batter, but that's, our, that's the sport of the mile. You have to time your finish so perfectly and so just right. And these world records that people are running, these times have been run—I mean, the mile indoors is still— the guys who were running at the top of their game in the late '70s would still be in the game right now, right, That's right. right. Tomek, I mean, they That's would right. still they would still be in this hunt for these times. It's not like indoors. We've seen outdoors times have gotten pretty drastically faster, but but really not that much outdoor. The miles that one race where there's not been this huge change, and so. It matters, and the 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 focus between him getting that fifteen hundred meter record or the one mile world record. He wa- he wanted the fifteen, he said, but he really went after the mile for his coach, and that's something we have absolutely not seen on in any footage, or footage. And anybody that's been following me and listening to my long term rants for and against Alberto you see a lot more about why Alberto is one of the greats of all time, because here he has a guy who breaks the world record in the mile. And he has the, one of the best marathoners in the entire world. And he's been operate. And, and if you don't want to give him give credit to, to what Galen Rupp has been done, done in marathoning, I understand because he hasn't run that fast yet, but he, let's just talk about what he did with Mo Farah and Galen Rupp on the outdoor seasons in the 5000 and the 10000 and the level of dominance that he created there with two different athletes um yes two african born athletes but still athletes that were not at the top of their absolute top of their game prior to these performances and so I mean Alberto is the man. He knows how to get it done. He knows how to peak his athletes appropriately and he pays really close attention and he seems like he's having fun as well. And um you know he's got some absolute stars in that program right now and you know both in the US side and in the world side and it doesn't seem to me like like Alberto Zalazar is going quietly into that good night. It seems to me like he is still adamantly excited about being a part of this about about being a coach in in at the world level
1: yeah and i like you know uh, about alberto i like he challenges his athletes you know uh to different distances different efforts just kind of uh, it feels like uh he expands the the limits you know like Kajelcha wouldn't wouldn't think he can break the mile records, but yet Kajelce, I remember six months prior to that record, ran like the crazy half marathon in fifty nine minutes, fifty nine twenty or something. You know what I mean? So he's that was probably not something he was expected to do on his own. He probably would just stay five k. Tricky guy. You know, without
0: Alberto, that would not have happened. That absolutely would not. And Sifan Hassan would not have done the same thing Mm -hmm. because that's how Alberto works. He is, he's, he's a master. He's an absolute master and he understands his athletes too. That's the other thing. Um, He's able to see in those athletes where their strengths are and what he needs to work, to, what little things he can tweak and play with. I mean, that's why these athletes come to him. I mean, they're already really, really good, but it's the Mo Farah effect, right? You can be really, really good, but not and, – and this is the argument against Cicajelka was he never got it done outdoors. He hasn't gotten it done outdoors. I mean, he's starting to, but – he, and, and Sifan Hassan was the same way, she wasn't getting it done outdoors, and now she is. So um, expect great things in this next year and a half, two years, as we go into 2019 and 2020, because I know for sure Alberto Zalazar is planning on winning gold medals. <laughs> and,
1: and, yeah, and back back to indoor track, that race um, was, for me, um, when Kajelcha brought world records, it, it, it's not, I mean, that race for the rest of the field that was behind Kajelcha it was that's why you run indoor and, and i want to talk about johnny gregoric who goes and runs 349 for nearly breaks the uh, us records held uh, by bernard lagat and and you know if johnny gregoric didn't show up didn't run indoor he would not know that he's 349 guy but now he does and you know what he's that gonna do to his outdoor and future career he was just he's on another level of believing and and just fitness too i believe you know what i mean
0: i totally agree i totally agree so now we'll move on to my performer slash performance of the indoor season um and mine is, as I alluded to earlier, uh, the great Laura Muir from Scotland, who represents England in, internationally. Um, she was at the European Championships in track and field, which usually, um, unless you're Tomac and you're into what's going on with the Poles, Polish team, Federation, <laughs> uh, most of us don't pay that much attention. But there was this big... Showdown, we knew there was going to happen between Laura Muir and, um, well how do you say her first name? Is it Constantine? How do you say her name? Cla- Constance, Cla- yeah. Constance Klos, Con- Claus- Klostenhofer. Oh, Coco. She- Coco. Yeah, we'll call her Coco, right? <laughs> she goes she, by Coco. Um, yeah. <laughs> so Coco's like a, she's like, what, 20 years old going on. 12 i mean she looks like <laughs> she looks like a little girl i mean she's tall and lean she runs with her elbows all the way out akimbo style and um but she is really tall and really lean for an indoor runner right she just looks like there's like she's not that fast you know what i mean you think oh she looks like a she looks a lot like a model <laughs> um and uh she she had just decimated and destroyed the field at the Milrose games um, in the Wanamaker mile, which is the biggest mile in the world um, and is always an incredibly, incredible race. And she had just decimated most and a mostly American field and just destroyed them, blew them up. And so people were really curious as how this was going to play out with Lori Muir and Kilco going head to head. And interestingly, um, Coco decides to just run the three thousand and not the fifteen, and there is a reason. and And Laura Muir decides to run both the fifteen and the three. The challenge to doing that is that she's got to run her fifteen hundred meter heat, her preliminary round, in order to qualify for the fifteen hundred. She has to run that basically two and a half hours prior to her three thousand meter final. It's a straight final in the three k. So before she meets up and runs against Coco, who is the world leader in the 15 in the mile in that that year um, at that point in time she's got to go out and run a preliminary race where she runs 409 for the 15 which is really solid and she runs her prelim two and a half hours later they jump into the three thousand meters and it's it's really interesting because right off the bat it's a pretty slow affair another english woman um uh uh McColgan, she slows, keeps the pace going at a pretty slow rate, and everyone's really surprised because Klosterhofen realized Coco is a, is a run fast in the 15, but she really is a 3K 5K girl. She's more along that strength side, and that's where her pedigree is. And Laura Muir, though she's moved up and run some longer distance races recently, she is well known for being almost a pure miler. And so it was a little shocking. Everybody knew that that Laura Muir would just sit and wait and kick and that was the expectation at least going in wouldn't you agree
1: yeah exactly that's how we looked.
0: yeah and and it looked like it was going to play out and then everybody thought well Coco will take the lead and she'll just try to string her out because she knows she's stronger she'll hope she'll be stronger than Laura is but it didn't happen that way they actually kind of jogged around for the first um 1200 meters so you know the first uh it was the first six laps on the track they're not moving incredibly slow but they were not it was not going after it and um then with 1600 meters to go coco takes the lead and just starts winding up and i don't know how relevant you guys who know who don't who don't know your splits for races but she was basically went 32 seconds for her next 200 33 seconds for the next 200 33 seconds for the next 200 33 seconds for the next 3 200 200 she was she had pushed it and then was holding that pedal down and you could see that a the the, the field blew up um, it was pretty impressive what happened behind there and how close those other athletes stayed to this race but it was definitely a two woman race once that expl- once Coco took the lead and started going after it and winding it up, and she had Laura. It looked like on the ropes a couple of times where there would be a gap of you know two or three meters, four meters, but then it looked like maybe Laura was just concentrating. And then of course, right coming up with one lap, with one with 400 meters to go, which is two laps to go. Um, you could just see that that Laura was chomping at the bit. She'd gotten right up on her shoulder and I'll have I'll put the video in the show notes so you guys can watch this and I'll have some points at which you can fast forward to if you don't want to watch the whole race where the key moves are made. But when she makes her move, Tomek, it was it was a thing of beauty. It was unlike it was she was ravenous. I mean, I haven't seen an athlete with that kind of fire in the belly in a long, long time. I mean, it was just ruthless Nis and Tomek when she went she went with 400 she just kept getting faster and faster and faster I mean everybody thought she would take the foot off the gas pedal but no she accelerated even coming off that final turn when it was obvious that Coco was destroyed and was off the back I mean she ran 28 seconds for her last 200 and I thought she could have run another she could run faster than that even she was just it was unbelievable, and on her face was just this look of sheer primal anger. I, I have not <laughs> seen anything like it in a long time, and you could just—I at that point I was like, "Holy fuck!" Laura Muir is for sh- for real. Like she is, like I don't know how who is going to be able to with the now the strength and the speed that she has going into this World Championships. It prevent it is going to be an incredibly interesting to see what happens with Hassan. With Laura Muir, what with um, what's her name from uh the the Bowerman Babes, um, Shelby uh, Shelby Houlihan. I mean i don't know it was really impressive and this is one other reason why indoors matters so much is because you we see now the work that laura muir has done and she had an incredible season last year right outdoors she had an incredible season outdoors she's not and you wonder oh is she not hungry anymore no they're, they're, she is hungry well she comes I mean, back yeah uh, her final oh, just for a reference her final 1500 in that race was a 405 405 at the back end. What what's that for is, the
1: mile? That's like sub f- 425, right?
0: Correct, sub 425. And um and for reference, she comes back and she wins the 1500 the neck 2 days later um in the final of the 15, which was pretty much a foregone conclusion cuz Coco wasn't in that race and there was no one else that was going to be able to run with her. Um, and she accelerated in that one in the same way to the last 200 <laughs> of that race are I mean it was just feral. She was like a wild fucking animal and it, i haven't seen anything like it in a long long time and it it just made the hair on the back of my neck stand up and i'm like that's my performance that's my performance performer of the indoor season i mean i will give it to kajelka mostly because a world record's a world record but just to give a little more perspective and to give people more of a view on the sport it, go and watch these videos and see how laura does this and and see if you don't get excited about what our sport can be and how exciting our sport is
1: and, and yeah and, and adding to laura you never see her taking victory lap right after cuz she's dead laying on the ground for like 15 minutes and <laughs> she's it, always that way yep always always can push her to like the limits and it's it's it doesn't matter if she's winning or chasing to win she's just she's a fighter i i I can't wait. I, I'm, I'm guessing her goal is to run 350 for 1500, you know, or maybe break 350 because that's what the world record is. So we'll see.
0: Yeah, you. that's what it feels like, Tomek. It feels <laughs> like that performance was um, a signal to the world of what she's capable of, um, but maybe even more importantly, a, sig- a, 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 a signal to herself of what she's capable of because that's tough she went 1500 prelim 3,000 final so she basically ran 409 405 409 in three days right you know and 830 was her was her final time for her so it's basically two 415s but she didn't run it that way so she ran 405 so she ran um, you know, I can't do the math. Fuck, my brain's <laughs> not doing that. But anyway, she made a lot faster that second half and they they made it easier on her. Coco could have maybe strung her out, but it, there was no way that Laura was going to beat that day.
1: I mean, Coco I think, nearly ran a personal best too in the 3k, yeah, you know what I mean? It's I know. not like yep. that was slow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It was it's pretty impressive. So Anyway, those are our performances of the year for indoors and our argument for why we think you should watch indoors. And let's talk a little bit, Tomek, about – we've talked just a little bit about how we think that this indoor season is going to play out um, for some exciting things outdoors. Are there any other things that we talked about um, that we haven't talked about that you're excited about for indoors in terms oh, of um, performances of the, mi- the men's mile and seeing, you know, Johnny Gregorick get the – Get get under three fifty for the mile was pretty huge, and to wonder how that will play out, given that he was mostly focused on, as he said in his own words, on on a on having a much better. He's in strength phase, and he's looking at a better outdoor season. Um, what other things did you see that were that that are exciting to you?
1: Well, you know, whole indoor season. Ended with with NCAA's, which is like the freshest on my mind, and I was just, I didn't watch the live broadcast, but I was able to watch distance, uh, some, you know, highlights of the races, and I was just, you know, amazing. I know amazing meet, uh, not talking about sprinters, which was amazing, but you know, Morgan mcdonald three five k champ, you know, he said he did just one practice on the indoor. He's just Show up here in Austin over Christmas break, <laughs> run around town like some tempo runs, you know, and and show up and run crazy fast, uh, being double, double national champion. And but the highlight was for me the the NAU Northern Arizona University miler winner uh, Jordi Bimish, who just yeah. show up to the meet with 406 PR. Was just recovering from stress fracture, never been to the final before in NCAA's, and there he was, just slower race, kicked at the end, and <laughs> wins the indoor nationals. That's just amazing. I, I love it.
0: Yeah, and and that was an incredible meet, the entire NCAA indoor meet, and it, it's really interesting. Indoors is from the NCAA perspective. Um in the future, it's a great meet to watch because things matter in the way that they don't outdoors. In outdoors, there's so many events and these performances are so diffuse that you can get a couple of throwers and then maybe some sprinters and a couple of distance runners and you can win the whole meet because a couple of 10 point swings, everybody's points are so much lower. But when you win an indoor title, it's everything's tighter. And so there are less scoring opportunities, and each scoring opportunity matters so much. And teams really get – the top three or four teams really get into a tight battle, and it can sometimes come down to that last 400 – that 4 by 400 meter race, which is always so exciting. Um, you know, the Arkansas women won on the women's side, and they did so with some really big points in the mile and the 3K. And um, – you know the DMR, and they uh, obviously they always have pole vaulters who do a really really good job. They're, they're probably the best pole vaulting school in the country in terms of indoor seasons on the women's side. Um, and then in the men's it was an exciting performance by one single sprinter who scored an ungodly number of points <laughs> um, in Holloway, who runs for uh, Florida, whose father is the coach of the entire program, which is really cool. Interesting story to go I with didn't know, that. That's As, the
1: father. I, I thought that was just yeah. a different Holloway.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, it's like really interesting how that all plays out, and all these, um, these these subtext and how the, all the things go. And, and you know, we just wanted. Here we're at forty-five minutes for this second episode um we just wanted to give you guys and hopefully get you to get excited a little bit about indoors even though that it's over and also to give you there was just no way since we didn't start this podcast until after indoors went on that we weren't we weren't going to be able to give full credence to all the events that happened we would have loved to have gone specific on in the ncaa meet um but this is going to be an ongoing weekly podcast We're going to be talking track fan shit. We're going to be geeking out about the men's and women's track and field, about marathoning. Next week, our entire episode will be in preview of the World Cross Country Championships. Um, Tomek and I just text today because this last couple of days has been deeply, very concerning with our sport. Um, They have chosen to take the 5,000 meters out of the IAAF Diamond League meets, which are um, where many athletes make their money. And um, that means that the... The the 5,000, 10,000, 10,000 has been gone from that for a long time. And so there's a lot of questions about what will be happening to the sport, the distance, long distance races in the sport of track and field. Um, We're talking about maybe doing a special episode on that topic all by itself, because combined with that, they also came out, the IAAF, with their standards for the Olympic Games for 2020. And the standards are hugely different especially um if you're looking at the marathon um and so it makes a question about whether or not you know the 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 short the short drama about that is will the u.s olympic trials in the marathon even matter um and we'll go into that's the that's the cliffhanger right like it's possible that that race is just doesn't need to be run um, or only needs to be run by four people. And so, which completely defies the reasoning and the purpose behind what we do in the United States with our Olympic trials. Not that we are the most important country in the world, but it will, it plays, there's a lot of different things that will happen with the, these two changes of losing the 5,000 and with the. Um, changes in what's going on with the qualifying standards for the Olympic games. And um, I think Tomek and I are probably going to have to record a special episode just about that, because it'll probably be about 30 minutes of Ram of, of mostly me throwing F bombs all over everywhere. And I don't know, probably you too, Tomek, because it, and especially the 5,000 changing could be, it could kill it, it. It could kill our sport. And frankly, honestly, it's fucking racist too to boot. So, there's a lot of shit there to unpack that's probably not politically correct, but we're we'll get into it, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's very upsetting it's It's more confusing, not the 5k but the I mean diamond link, but the the Olympic standards because the the lower stand or tougher standards uh, the the additional athletes are going to be added by by ranking and that that ranking. That is f- super confusing. it's based on where you're racing and what place you take it nobody knows which race is better than the other. It's just so confusing very confusing
0: so. yeah
1: so and
0: and I think that it's important enough and it and it could be important enough to warrant a special episode um, and it, it could be something and the reason for that is because it's something that may actually play out next year even more importantly than this year and so um, and we'll break that all down to you and we also want to talk about the whole the whole issue of what 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 makes an athlete a male or a female and what that means for performance and the Castro Semenya ongoing drama of that and what kind of decisions could be made about that, which will also be hugely impactful for our sport when we talk about this for the next 20 years. Um, big, big changes and big, big things happening in the sport of track and field that I think will be very interesting to our listeners who, if we can tell the stories right, you know? So we'll we'll That's be right. unpacking those stories over time. The, the Castro Semenya tale doesn't need to be addressed right away, but I do feel some kind of compelling need to talk about the 5,000 and the adjusted Olympic standards. But Tomek and I will talk about that later and decide what to yeah. do. And if you guys have some particular thoughts on it, let us know. Email me. Let me know what you think about these... Um, the things we're talking about, and if you think we're crazy, you think we're doing awesome, either way, let us know. What were exactly. you we going to say, Tomek? I, I, I jumped I, in on there.
1: Where where tell people where they can email you?
0: Yeah, they can email me at Sisson S-I-S-S-O-N, at telosrunning.com, that's T-E-L-O-S, running.com.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask, like, so now indoor is over, so what's next, right? You mentioned we're moving now to outdoor season, and. I believe first big diamond lake is maybe mid-may late may mid-may i guess well right? usually there's
0: a usually there's something in doha early isn't there um, Right. yeah so it's doha i think in may and then um but the real heart of that is really late june right whoa whoa what just happened <laughs> we just heard all right you okay yeah yeah okay so i don't know something happened to your your um Anyway, it went, <laughs> we'll see if I can fix that. But anyway, um, yeah, so the real heart of that is in the summer. Um, and this year we have a world championship, and Doha is where the world championships will be held in September, which is a little later this year than in other years, mostly because they never should have put it in Doha. And that's another whole diatribe that Tomek and I could go on about conspiracy theory and payola and money bullshit that happens in our sport as it does in every sport but um yeah the national the world championships are in doha in the summer in the fucking desert of in the in (laughs) in the absolute crazy heat because somebody wanted them held there because of money perspective anyway um so i'm guessing
1: some people would be be racing soon, outdoor, in the U.S. especially, right?
0: Cause oh, yeah. Well, indoor starts right away for the collegians. Outdoor. They actually yeah. – yeah, the outdoor starts right away. Many of them have a spring break meet coming this week. So I coached collegiately, and I remember always remember we would get done with the NCAA championships. I would get home, and then I would pack my bags, go to the bank, get money for all the kids because we'd give them per diem money, and I had to have per diem money for an entire week, and we would go on a spring break trip. So I was, like, gone for basically two entire weeks. Um indoor season so i know that you'll be seeing race results come out of the indoor season and there's a big meet that happens at the very beginning of april that really kind of cements who makes it to the ncaa championships in the longer races distances especially in the ten thousand, because there's very few opportunities to run the 10k and get the times that you need to to run them and they all happen in one place so we can break all that we can break all that stuff down for you too so anyway hopefully you guys are finding this enjoyable um you know, initially we talked about doing a 30-minute podcast, but I'm pretty sure it will always end up being an hour. We'll always find a reason to keep talking about it. But um, if you guys have strong feelings one way or another, send me an email. Let me know. So anything else you want to share with folks, Tomek?
1: Well, I wanted to say, you know, if if you're healthy – and have an indoor track in the future just just run it if you have a chance You know, you never know one year you might be injured and you'll be regretting or one year You may just run your best time and that will be forever for you. You know what I mean? So it's like opportunity as it presents itself. That's my opinion on why to run indoor track. truck
0: Absolutely, absolutely um, so with that, we will we will end episode two. Thanks to everyone for listening, and um, check us out same time, same place next week. Take care.